The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, it's a big day for all of you lot in the market. It's Fed day, isn't it? So you're watching Scorebox and these are your headlines. U.S. markets have actually dipped a tad as investors gear up for a likely fourth straight 75 basis point hike from the Federal Reserve. The HSBC CEO Noel Quinn tells CNBC the U.S. central bank is nearing the peak of its fight against inflation. I would like to believe that we're starting to approach the top of the curve, uh, whether it's this time or next time. Interest rates are materially up compared to where they were, and I think they'll start to have an impact on inflation next year. Greater Chinese markets holding on to those big gains we saw from yesterday, adding to them today despite Beijing's denial of a softening in its zero-COVID stance. The CEO of Standard Chartered sounds a bullish note on growth at the Global Financial Leaders Investment Summit in Hong Kong. As the U.S. growth slows down, uh, we would expect that the Asian growth story led by China would pick up. Uh, that's very good for, for the global economy if we can have that rotation. Now, maybe asking too much to have things sequenced that way. The Bank of England sees strong investor appetite for gilt, selling more than 750 million pounds worth of UK government debt as it becomes the first major central bank to sell sovereign bonds back to markets. And I'm live here at Web Summit in Lisbon, where Elon Musk's overhaul of Twitter is set to be the talk of the town. This is US regulators where new calls for a crackdown of TikTok. We'll be discussing developments all morning. It's one of those days where there is so much going on. And there are so many moving parts. And I've got to be honest, I've been in this market quite a long while, one way or another. And I still get very, very excited about this confluence of events going on as well. I'm still fascinated by the market moves we saw yesterday in Hong Kong and Greater China. In fact, uh, by the way, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Great to be here with you. Uh, but but I, I, I said yesterday, around about this time for the next three hours, I do not know what's going on. And I think I was one of the few people who actually didn't know what was going on because everyone apparently knew what was going on. But I dispute their knowledge, actually, because I think there were so many influences. But if it was all down to a few social media posts about a lessening of COVID restrictions, that is an extraordinary reason to see billions of dollars added to global equities as well. And I find that quite extraordinary. We were going to have a chat, but I'm told that someone near the epicenter of the action is ready. So why don't we get to her and we can have this chat throughout the show That as sounds well. like a, a wise plan. Indeed, because global markets will get through any coming economic slowdown. That according to HSBC CEO Noel Quinn, who spoke to, well, it says CNBC, but it's Emily, isn't it? Uh, at the Hong Kong Market Authority's Financial Leaders Investment Summit, along with a slew of other big names from the banking sector, ahead of today's highly anticipated Fed decision. Well, Emily joins us with more. Emily, I, I'm already, what are we, three minutes into the show, and I'm fascinated by your two big interviews, and I'm sure you've done many more as well. But, but the comment I heard from the headline straight away was from Noel Quinn saying, actually, the Fed is nearing the peak of its fight against inflation. I think that is a huge assumption, but you take it away and tell us what he said. 
Yep, you know what? Uh, we got a chance to speak to some, some top executives, Steve, uh, here in Hong Kong at the Four Seasons Hotel. Uh, this is all part of the Hong Kong Monetary Authority Global Financial Leaders Investment Summit. Uh, this really is the coming out party, the global showcase that Hong Kong is back in business. Uh, they've invited something like 200 financial executives uh, coming from 100 institutions. There are 40 CEOs uh, that were in the in the ballroom uh, taking part in this, and we got to speak to a couple of them. Of course, eight. HSBC as well as Standard Chart Standard Chartered Bank and Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing amongst those that we did get to speak to. Uh, but uh, one of the big events this week we are looking to is the Federal Reserve meeting and the 75 basis point rate hike very much expected. I put that first question to Noel Quinn asking him about what he expects in terms of the rate decision and what is the impact on HSBC. I think we're all expecting a, a reasonably significant increase out of the Fed, whether that's 75 basis points or 100 basis points. I think the market is more around the 75. Um, I would like to believe that we're starting to approach the top of the curve, uh, whether it's this time or next time. But I, I would like to believe that there's been significant action by central banks around the world to tame inflation. Interest rates are materially up compared to where they were and I think they'll start to have an impact on inflation next year. Impact on inflation but what about the risk of a global recession? There will be a slowdown and I think but it won't affect the world evenly. I think the US is relatively well positioned uh, even if there is a slowdown or a smile dip into recession I don't think it'll be long-lasting. I think Europe is more challenged but if I look at the Middle East where I was last week Middle East is booming. It's a very strong market um, and I look at South and Southeast Asia, strong markets as well. I see a recovery taking place in Hong Kong. It won't be immune to the global slowdown, but it's got a recovery potential next year. And then if China can start to come out of COVID, China can also have a recovery. So I don't think it's an equivalent impact around the world. Now, we'll also hear from the BOE this week, and their last meeting came just before the chaos uh, of the mini-budget. The new government will be giving their fiscal update on November the 17th. How aggressive do you expect the BOE to be this week, given the hot inflationary environment? Well, the most important thing is the markets have stabilized. Uh, the recent change in government has stabilized the markets, restored confidence in the fiscal policy, uh, and then it's for the governor of the Bank of England to determine how much stability in the fiscal situation uh, can then start to play into his own monetary policy. But that's for the governor to determine. But I'm pleased with the stability that's re-emerged over the past two weeks. It's important for everyone, the whole economy, but particularly those that are facing increases in mortgage costs in the UK. At least now, those mortgage increases are smaller than they would have been two weeks ago. And, of course, that wasn't the only British bank that we got a chance to speak to. Uh, Standard Chartered, that is Bill Winters, the CEO there, also talking about the uh, big topic of the week, and that is the Federal Reserve meeting, whether or not he expects a 75 basis point rate hike. The Fed uh, is pretty determined, I believe, to get inflation under control. And it's, it's, running, you know, it's running hot right now. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that they're going to raise rates to the point where they can slow the economy enough to get inflation back down under control. I think it's going to be a very, very tough, tough, tough challenge uh, for the Fed to do that without initiating a recession. And we can have a long debate over whether it'll be shallow or deep, but it's going to be pretty hard uh, not to have, uh, well, for sure there's going to be a slowdown in growth. It'll be pretty hard not to have that tip into recession. But of course the Fed is, is, is trying to walk that fine line. I'm sure that they will take uh, a, a aggressive action and aggressive messaging in their meetings this week in order to, to send a very clear message that they will tackle the inflation problem. 
we'll see, we'll see how that uh, impacts economic growth. We'll also hear from the Bank of England, and uh, their meet last meeting was uh, just before the chaos of the mini-budget, and uh, we're going to be getting what is an updated fiscal plan on November the 17th. How aggressive do you expect the BOE to be, given the hot inflation? Look, I, I think the, the Bank of England has been very proactive, and of course we, we had the market turmoil around the mini-budget. So the Bank of England acted very decisively to calm the markets, and so I, I, they, they've got an extremely challenging task of, on, on the one hand, managing inflation, managing markets which have shown to be quite skittish for, for all the reasons that I, I think we understand that you've explored extensively. Uh, and you know, exactly how they nuance that and message that, I think the market is very keen to see. But the, the fact that the, that the bank has been proactive, uh, they've, they've been front-footed, uh, they've taken the, the, the necessary actions to, to keep the, the markets operating smoothly, I think that they will take an equally determined approach to, to getting inflation back under control. But, but like in the U.S., it's no small feat. Uh, this conference here really is, as I mentioned, to show that Hong Kong is back in business and quite literally uh, because we do have a tropical storm. The Hong Kong Observatory at 1.40 local time here, so that was about 20 minutes ago, raised this uh, storm warning to T8. And with that, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange has now closed the uh, share market, so we're, we're no longer trading today. Uh, but having said that, the market did close up about 2.5%, uh, so extending on the huge rally that we saw in the market yesterday, uh, there was no closing auction as a result of the weather arrangements. Uh, so that, of course, is the latest that's coming through from us here in Hong Kong. Uh, Steve, I know that you were interested in what was happening with the volatility in the market yesterday. Of course, uh, we saw something like a 15% pullback in the Hang Seng Index for the month of October, only to have on November the 1st a huge surge, all on these uh, social media, these uh, messages that potentially they were putting together a team to look at a potential COVID, a drop in COVID zero. Uh, there has been no confirmation that that is actually really happening, uh, but we did get some headlines coming through from uh, the PBOC as well as the CSRC uh, coming through from the HKMA summit here, and I'll just uh, leave you with this. Uh, the CSRC saying that, that they're continuing to welcome foreign institutions and that opening markets is good for China. Uh, talking about the uh, the economy in China, the PBOC, says that the potential growth rate remains in a reasonable range and that monetary policy here is accommodative to support the economy. So that is the latest here from the Hong Kong Monetary Authority Summit. Back to you guys. I am absolutely loving your work, Emily, on both fronts. So thank you very much indeed for the, the summit interviews and also for your commentary on the market. Should we, should we do this again then? Because I think it is extraordinary that, as Emily was saying, and bearing in mind, I spent and I'll tell the viewers one more time, I spent the most of the show yesterday saying, I do not know mm. what is going on. Despite many people saying, it's because of. Mm. Well, sometimes you have to hold your hand up and say, mm, is that right? Or is it just a liquidity event? Is it a lack of liquidity event? Is there a momentum building up and a fear of missing out on something because people think there's some other information out there? But isn't that extraordinary? We can see one of the biggest rallies on Asian stroke Hong Kong stroke, Hong Kong tech stroke, mainland equities uh, in months on the back of absolutely nothing concrete. Rumours, counter-rumours, maybe, maybe not. And those rumours about, by the way, lessening uh, COVID restrictions have been around a long time, way before the party congress. Uh, Jeff had heard those kind of rumours, and he's got loads of feelers in Hong Kong and China as well, that there might have been some announcement there. Mm. Well, it came and went the party conference, uh, and there was no comment about lessening restrictions. But all of a sudden, you see this extraordinary rally uh, on, on rumours about new committees being formed to discuss that. I, I think that's extraordinary and just shows where we are, not only on 
how nervous people are, but on the liquidity and lack of in the market. Mm. And it's probably somewhat reflective of positioning, I would argue, that Absolutely. you could have just a rumor, just an unconfirmed headline around a potential reopening, and you have moves of that scale. To your point, we don't know for sure what drove the moves, as we you know, is always the case, but I would argue even more so when you were talking about Chinese tech stocks. Uh, I think the piece to remember when it comes to the Chinese reopening, if it was that, and if that is on the horizon, the reason China hasn't reopened so far is because they don't have a lot of immunity in the country. So to my mind, one of the key questions to ask when we wonder whether there is merit in this view that China is on a path to reopening is what's changed and is there reason to believe they're more confident opening up now than they were before? One thing to watch is the vaccine front, I think. And yeah. I mentioned this yesterday. The Chinese vaccines, the homegrown ones that they've used so far, not as effective as the ones in the West. And to date, there is no alternative within China. And there's very low uptake of the vaccines that they do have among the elderly. So unless something there changes, it's hard to understand how yeah. the policy would change. Look, everyone's got to make their own personal decision. But all I can say is I've got a blooming sore arm today because I made yet another personal decision. <laughs> yesterday uh, it was uh, relatively painless at the time but today it's feeling a bit sluggish but look um okay that, that's fine one thing i will say again maybe a very stupid point to raise but weren't technology stocks the outperformance uh, performance during the covid lockdowns i.e because we all went to these technology stocks that was why they all rallied so aggressively but now they're rallying because of lockdown lessening rumors i don't know anyway Bigger story today, or should be as big story, I should say, is U.S. Um, Federal Reserve Day, set rate setting day. But uh, once again, I got very excited again, way too excited about so many things. Uh, U.S. job openings, the JOLT survey, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. So let's go through the numbers. U.S. job openings jumped in September. They didn't decline, they jumped. Don't forget the previous month we'd seen about a million jobs shaved off the openings potentially. Total vacancies this time climbed 437,000 to a seasonally adjusted 10.7 million last month. Now, the tight labor market reading adds additional pressure, of course, on the Federal Reserve ahead of the interest rate decision later today. And we heard that from Noel Quinn, didn't we? Like, I think we're near the peak of the rate setting tightening mm. to fight inflation. Well, not according to this data. Now, most analysts are forecasting another 75 basis point hike, but quite frankly, does anyone expect anything other than mm. 75 this time around? It's, and it's just, I mean, does it matter if it's 75 or 50 next time? You've got 44% of the market saying a 50 basis point rise next time in December, 49% saying 75 mm. basis points. But I think we're already looking beyond that. And, and, and a phrase that Karen loves chatting about a lot, where I, perhaps I'm less interested, is the terminal rate as well. And I know Karen's been talking a lot about the terminal rate. Where's it going to be? 4.3, 4.6, 5%. I've seen the lot. I, I think you're right in that the question is not about today's meeting, but it's about the meetings beyond today and arguably beyond December. And what jumps out to me is the terminology, to, to take a cue from what you just mentioned, the terminology around a Fed pivot. And we've talked about the possibility of a Fed pivot and that being a key driver of the positive market narrative that we've seen over the month of October. Will we see a Fed pivot? And the terminology has changed what a Fed pivot actually means. Steve Leisman did this excellent report yesterday talking about how the definition of a Fed pivot has changed three times over the last oh, month. It went so, from meaning. So what does that mean then, the, so, the change? So initially, Fed pivot meant rate cuts. Then yes. a Fed pivot meant rate pause. 
And now when investors and analysts talk about a Fed pivot, they mean a reduction in the pace of rate hikes. God, they're really scraping the barrel now on their pivot terminology, aren't they? Absolutely. And I think that the bar is so high for a real Fed pivot, real meaning that initial definition of the Fed actually cutting rates. That is so far from the conversation now, Mm. um, given the inflation pressures seem to be really sticky. That's absolutely fascinating. And there is one other point as well. And I I, I could not agree more with what you and Mr. Leesman are saying there. But but isn't it interesting that there in years gone by, four years, it's like, well, we'll do 25 basis points and Mm. just see what happens. We might do another 25 basis points and see what happens. Now we're looking at what? The fourth (laughs) 75 basis point hike in a row. And we don't know what the information lag is on the jobs market. Mm. We know at the moment it's looking like jobs are stunningly robust. Nothing to scare the horses on the jobless claims. Nothing to scare the horses uh, on the jolts data. Mm. But my goodness me, there is a lot of other information out there that's flashing amber, if not red, on the housing market and on the consumer as well. But anyway, I just heard in my ear that there's something about a guess, so we better crack on. <laughs> Let's crack on, and we'll continue the conversation later. Definitely want to um, continue talking about the U.S. economy and what the recent data has shown, given the Fed is, of course, so data-dependent now. Uh, but let's get to markets. U.S. equities ended the day lower yesterday, extending the losses. The Dow Jones ended about a quarter of a percent lower, so a real change in sentiment from what we saw around this time yesterday. U.S. futures were pointing to a positive start, and then, of course, things turned uh, sour later in the day. So markets edging lower ahead of this key decision. You can see some underperformance from the tech-heavy Nasdaq. It dropped about 0.9 percent. Moving on to uh, fixed income, here's a picture for Treasury markets. You've got the 10-year flat on the morning, just over 4.05 percent. The 30-year trading around 4.12 percent. So we'll keep an eye on those in the lead-up to the Fed decision. And the dollar. Yesterday, the dollar was flat. <clears throat> Again, a little bit of a holding pattern, it would seem, ahead of the Fed decision. You've got right now sterling trading firmly versus the dollar, 114.99. Euro also uh, holding firm versus the greenback at just under 98. Okay, so the Bank of England also moving ahead uh, with various plans, uh, pressing ahead with plans to unwind its quantitative easing program yesterday. Don't forget, there was already uh, a lessening of the balance sheet by allowing maturities which expire uh, to come off the balance sheet. But it was more proactive from the Bank of England yesterday, uh, selling, physically selling some £750 million worth of short-term government debt. I'm pretty sure there was a, a very big bid on this one. I think I saw something in the region of £2.4 billion uh, pounds sterling. Now, the bank has been trying to reduce its, uh, well, it says there, £838 billion. I'm not sure it's that big, but uh, we'll, we'll check on that one. Uh, it's very large uh, holdings uh, of British government bonds since February. Uh, Sales were delayed back in September after the postponement uh, of its Monetary Policy Committee following the death of Queen Elizabeth II and later by uh, a chaotic sell-off in gilts triggered by the then Prime Minister uh, Liz Truss's uh, debt-funded mini budget. Maybe it was 838 billion. It was, wasn't it? Gosh, that's such a huge number. Okay, so here's the gilt market as well. Uh, Again, calm prevailing as we speak on the uh, UK curve. Uh, 10-year gilts trading 3.46. Right, coming up on the show, uh, the Trivago CEO, Axel Heffer, joins us to discuss the company's latest earnings. That is the first on CNBC interview after this break.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Uh, Airbnb beat profit and revenue expectations in the third quarter, but reported slower revenue growth of 29%. This despite bookings reaching nearly 100 million, the highest ever for the third quarter. Shares were down uh, on Tuesday after Airbnb warned that holiday bookings could be more modest, with fourth quarter revenue forecast to be just over $1 billion. The CEO of Airbnb, Brian Chesky, told CNBC the company is carrying forward what they learned from the pandemic. One of the lessons I think I learned was that, you know, we want to run the company as consistently as possible in a good economy or a bad economy. So we're going to stay really disciplined. If we see any major investment opportunities, we will invest. But I don't think that you will see a fundamental change to our profitability. I think this company will get incredibly profitable over time. We're going to make metronomic improvement every single quarter. And we're really focused on a couple really big opportunities. I mean, I want to really make sure, number one, we perfect our core business. We want to have great value, great customer service. The next thing is I want to make sure that hosting becomes mainstream. In a recession, I think millions of people could turn to Airbnb to consider putting their homes um, on our platform. Let's get to some fresh earnings from Trivago in the travel industry. Trivago reporting a quarterly adjusted loss of 19 cents per share for the quarter ending in September. Revenue rose 32.5% to just over 183 um, uh, euros from a year ago. Uh, the In terms of EPS for the quarter, it was, again, a loss of 19 cents. Um, and the... And that is the latest from Trivago. Throughout the summer, the company says we have observed a significant increase in average price levels for hotel rooms. We believe that geopolitical conflicts and disruptions, which have led to higher energy prices, are likely to continue for the foreseeable future. Uh, in the third quarter, we continue to benefit from the recovery in travel, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere. And as planned, we increased our branded marketing activities during this period. Um, so let's get a little bit more detail on these numbers from uh, Axel Heffer, CEO of Trivago. Axel, great to have you with us. I just uh, walked through the, the real high level numbers here, but share with viewers how the quarter was for you and in particular what you've seen in terms of demand evolution from your customers. I mean, the summer was very, very strong. Um, pretty much as expected to be honest we've seen the last two years even in the pandemic very strong demand for summer travel for getting a break we had the highest um, adjusted EBITDA ever in our company's history um, and uh, as you said we we showed uh, solid growth compared to last year unfortunately we had an impairment um, on our goodwill which is more triggered through the change in uh, in interest environment but um, yeah overall we we were we were very happy Looking forward, um, it is obviously more interesting with inflation hitting consumers around the world, pretty much on, on any um, anything they buy. We do think that uh, travel will continue to be very, very important for um, consumers around the globe and that absolute spending might even go up. But 
uh, because of the increase in prices, people will try to save costs through shorter trips, through different destinations, and uh, by comparing hotel prices more, which is exactly what we do. The landscape uh, for your business seems to be becoming increasingly competitive. And you and these results talk about how you've had to increase your branded marketing activities in order to compete. What does that mean for uh, your margins moving forward if the environment is becoming increasingly competitive? And and what is it going to look like over the coming years with so many players vying for the same market? Yeah, I think this summer was was a bit special because um, a lot of people have not traveled for for a couple of years now. So pretty much everybody who is active in selling accommodation online or providing services around accommodation online was trying to get in front of the consumer and remind the consumer about the quality of their service. We have done that by spending a lot of money on, on brand advertisement and performance advertisement. Pretty much everybody has done the same. I do expect the, um, the the dynamic to normalize next year. This year was a bit special from that respect. Axel, very good morning to you. Look, uh, there's no two ways of putting it. Your shares have been brutalized over the last couple of years. In 2018, they were trading uh, at around about nine on the uh, NASDAQ. Now you're, you're around about one buck as well. Um, is there any relief in sight, do you think, for this tech sell-off we're seeing in your shares and elsewhere in the sector? I mean, it's a good question. I mean, the um, the, the the drop in, in share prices is not not everywhere rational, um, but um, but there there is obviously um, a trend in the market. Um, and and again, like like any short term trend, I would expect uh, the markets to stabilize um, at some point in time. When exactly, that's almost impossible to to predict. What do the um, the shareholders say? Because I mean, as you mentioned, very very tough with the impairment as well. Very tough market conditions, as you and Juliana just mentioned as well. What do the likes of Park Capital say to you? What do they want you to do that you're not doing already? So I think the the key thing was for this year was to um, show solid profitability and at the same time invest into marketing and win back consumers. And if you just look at this quarter, I mean we. We grew by um, by 33%, and we basically increased our adjusted EBITDA margin from 11 to 18%. So, so we've delivered on both dimensions that investors typically care about. And if you deliver results, then uh, at some point in time, the market also appreciates that. Yeah, Axel, look, I appreciate your questions on your company and the broader sector as well. Can I ask you just a more generic question, just because you're an expert in place here? I was reading one of the copies. It said Meta Search Engine Trivago as well, and I'll take on board Meta. But the word Meta's how can I put it? It's a little bit sullied at the moment as well. In the age of Facebook, then we hear about Mr. Uh, uh, Musk talking about turning Twitter into some form of meta app as well. How do you see the, the prospects for these big all-encompassing apps? Do you think that there is uh, a future for that, for the metaverse, or actually is it specific uh, focused areas where the real future is going to be for profitability? Yeah, I mean, the, the, um, I think it will be a combination of both. I mean, the, these mega platforms obviously capture um, significant value because they manage to interact with users around the globe pretty much every day. And that is today through general search, uh, as Google does today, through social platforms, as, as Meta does today, through the metaverse in the future, potentially. Um, but then still, these companies do need um, uh, partners who actually do provide the service and who do provide the value. And um, and that that's what we are focusing on, and I think that's that's what 
any company should focus on just to do what they do better. Um, and that will be a good foundation for the future, no matter which platform will prevail. Axel, coming back to um, business activity, what are you seeing in the way of consumer habits, consumer preferences, any changes that you think are notable and worth flagging that could give us any insight into how the, uh, you know, the, the consumer is feeling right now? Yeah, I mean that we, we actually indeed start to see some change in, um, in consumer behavior. I, it's, it's obvious that prices for everything are, are going up and that consumers need to um, be more cautious with their spending. And so what we do see is that there is um, some early trends that um, consumers are searching for shorter trips to save some money. There is some shift in, um, in destinations. So for example, Morocco has gained in popularity recently. It's a bit cheaper than, than other destinations. Um, and so there we do expect a um, continued trend to more second and third tier destinations that are a bit cheaper. Um, and then we also do see that consumers are comparing prices more and, and that's obviously what, um, what's positive for us and what, what makes us optimistic for next year. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.